There are more than 10 million documented accounts of the near-death experience in the United States alone. The stories of NDE survivors are both uniquely personal and eerily similar. Here are some who tell us, in their own words, what happened to them when they died. I'm Peter Panagor. I died ice climbing. My name is Jennifer Dean, and my near-death experience was from an adverse reaction to chemotherapy treatments. My name is Chris Batts. My near-death experience was my suicide attempt. My name is Sharon Milliman, and I died when I was struck by lightning. I could see this darkness extending sort of from my peripheral vision outward uh, into infinity. And I remember wondering, what is this? Because a lot of people think the dark would be afraid, like a scary place. Not at all. Then I felt this ultimate presence where I knew it was God. It was complete peace. I was comfortable. I was fearless. I was home. I was me. I felt a bunch of love behind this entity. I didn't see it with my eyes. I just felt it. I heard it inside of myself, and it said to me without language, I'm taking you. I want you now. And it shows me my human life. And in my human life, it sees all of my dark corners. I saw my whole life, and it was black and white, and it was really fast, and then it was over really quick. It was everything from the time I was born until the day, that, that moment that I died. And in the softest voice, he was like, you have so much to do for so many people. They tell me that I am welcome to stay. However, I, my soul came here, my oversoul, for a mission that is quite significant. From that point on, I've never been the same person. Death is beautiful. It is just as beautiful as birth, but we fear it so much because we think it's the end. It is anything but the end. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Diane Bryan speaking. I'm uh, standing in today for Joe Barley, and we have a wonderful array of speakers for you today and an opportunity at the end for you to call in and uh, ask questions of them. I'd like to introduce the first one, um, Sharon Milliman. And Sharon, I'd like you to talk a little bit about your experiences and what you're doing and let our audience know how wonderful your life has been. Well, I've had four near-death experiences and in the video, I talk about my biggest one um, uh, where I was struck by lightning and I died and went to heaven. Um, my life is very busy with... <laughs> helping people to not be afraid of death. And uh, I've written some books and um, it's been a wonderful, Sharon, it's been wonderful. <laughs> Sharon, what made it so wonderful? Knowing that there is another place that when we die, we don't, we don't stop being, we are still who we are. And it's only the physical body that dies. The thing that okay. makes you special, that makes you who you are, does not die. You still are who you are, and your identity is perfect. And and it, you you keep your identity and your memories and your dreams and your thoughts. And I still had a body, so, and it was a, a better version of me. And so what makes it so wonderful is knowing that even though this life may be difficult and hard and it's it's only a blink of an eye compared to the magnificence of what's waiting on the other side and that it is real good Sharon I'm going to introduce another speaker and then I'm going to give you a chance to come back and talk with all of us because you've got so many interesting things to say Chris, would you like to speak now? Um, yes. This so, is Chris Bates. Go ahead. Oh, so yeah, my name is Chris Batts. I am a suicide survivor. That's how I had my near-death experience, through a suicide attempt. Um, had a rocky childhood. I talk about 
this a lot with um I actually wrote a book about it. I um, public speak about it a lot. And I'm glad the experience happened because I got to understand love after this experience. And that life does basically start when we die. So it's like, it's really not the end, it's the beginning. Chris, can you go back a little bit and tell us what led you to this this decision? <clears throat> A, the suicide attempt? Suicide. Well, it was... Yes. I'm not going to... Well, I'll, okay, so I'll just briefly say I had a really bad childhood. I was living in places to where I wasn't really cared about, and I was thrown away by my mom at six months, so that's why I was with other people. And I guess, like, that brought... Like, over the years, it brought depression, and I felt, like, no confidence in my own self, and it was just a depression that lasted for years and years until I decided to try to exit this world. How old were you when you decided this? I was 23, 23. Okay. And at that time, did you, were you working or did you, did you have anything going for you in your life, such as a job? I had a sort of, um, what do you call it? I had a pretty good job, but my hours weren't really that much. I had, um, I was actually, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I was like just working from place to place to place. I was going everywhere. But at this point of my suicide, I was not working because I pretty much just gave up everything. I didn't really have any confidence, no motivation to even work or anything like that. So I just... I wasn't working around the time of my suicide. I see. Well, everything fell apart for you. Yeah. Who were the people that helped you out of this space? Jim? Um, you're at, like, for my, um, my recovery after my suicide attempt? Or just... No. Did you actually try to commit suicide? Yes. And somebody interrupted it? No. Well, it it happened. Like, I actually left my body. It's just, okay. I met, okay. I met, yeah, it's when who I met on the other side are the ones who convinced me to stay here. I see. Very good. All right, Chris, let me go over now to talk to James, and we'll all combine our thoughts in a few minutes. James, can we... Can we hear about your CD? Well, you most certainly can. That's why I'm here, and it's great to be here. Um, well, we're glad to have you. Oh, thanks. Thank you. It's great. I'm great to be on the show. So I was inspired to make this film in kind of a strange way. I was just sitting at home watching YouTube videos, and the second one that came on was a video by Chris Batts. And, oh, look, there he is right in the audience. So after I had seen his video, I kind of just stood up out of my chair and I had this fizzy, oh my gosh, soda-like material just running through my body. And I was just so influenced and I was just effervescent. And I said, now I know what my next documentary film is going to be on, is going to be on near-death experiences. So before that, you know, I said, I didn't have the slightest idea of what's going to happen to me when I die. Now, when I completed the film for myself and for the audience, you will have the slightest idea of what's going to happen to you after, I die, after you die. And that's pretty much why I made the film. So the film pretty much starts off with Chris, Sharon, and the other ones explaining their NDE. Chris goes into great detail of exactly what happened. And that's about the first third of the film. The second two-thirds, the second part of the film, is really the NDEs and the pearls of wisdom that they got back or that they brought back from where they were. And that pretty much is the crux of the film. That's where, that's really why it was made, okay? Um, some of the concepts that they brought back weren't exactly original ones. Like, for instance... 
the topic of forgiveness, which is very, very important when you're having strife with someone, the importance of forgiveness. Also, the idea of to love somebody, you need to love yourself first. These are a couple of concepts that have been around. But when our NDEs explain it, it's from a perspective that is so unique, it's really, really going to hit home. And that's where the key is. And to me, these NDEs, they're heroes to me because some of them had the, uh, the option to stay, as Chris was just telling you. They could stay in this environment that's like a different universe. Love, the word love is too weak a word to describe this place. It's timeless. And they had the choice of staying there or coming back to this earth where we're crapping all over each other and they chose to do this because they wanted to make a difference in this world there was a piece of humanity that they can control and that's the story that i wanted to tell but i really wanted to tell it in a way not to force you guys to think a certain way that's not my that's not my prerogative as a filmmaker i kind of just want to tell the stories and make you come up with your own ideas of what you want to take and what you don't want to take out of it. But there's a lot to take out of it. And I try very hard not to interject myself, even though I was the filmmaker. For, for instance, like, I, um, like I'm very much in touch with my feminine side, okay? My, my hobbies are cats, step aerobics, and poetry. So if you're looking for... Uh, alpha male, I'm not it, okay? But I didn't want to interject my personality into the film, all right? And that's how it came to be. Very good. It's exciting. I can't wait to see it or hear it. Where can we get this this, uh, documentary? You can see it for free. There's a couple of places you can see it. You can uh, see it on a dedicated website to the film, which is www.peaceonbothsidesofthegate, which, by the way, that's the name of the film, peaceonbothsidesofthegate.com. You can also see it on YouTube, all right? And okay, um, you just type that in and it'll come up. So it's free. There's no charge. On the website, there's a couple of more things that you can do. You can leave comments there. You can... Um, there's some links to a couple of the films that I've made and just a whole bunch of interactive stuff that you can do on the website. Well, it sounds exciting. I, I'm really excited about watching it. Thank you. Uh, Chris. Yes. Chris. Yes. Um, can you add to what James has James has said about the desire to come back? This coming back seems to be coming back to problems and possibly darkness and all sorts of things from this wonderful place you were at what made you decide to come back so i'm glad you actually touched on that so the thing is the normal person like in their right mind would say if i'm gonna like commit suicide i'm not going back to this place under any circumstances at all but what ended up happening with mine when i when it actually did happen i'm on the other side I meet these beings that basically, without really saying much, they help me understand the meaning of love and how everybody in the world needs to be loved. So it's like, okay, the way we loved you just now and the love you feel from us, we want you to take that back and let people know that don't think they're loved, that they are loved. So I'm like, all right, I'll go back. I just felt this urge to just come back. Good. You know, it's, it's a huge decision to make, but it must have given you a need as well. I need to go back and give what I have found to the world. Does that sound correct? That sounds right. Good. Yeah. And with, and with your thinking too, James, I, I suppose. Absolutely. Okay. Sharon, can we ask you to add to this conversation we've got going? We'd like to hear you. You've got so much to say. <laughs> well, I, 
I really didn't have much of a choice. And if I did have the, com- the conversation with God about whether to come back or not, I don't remember that part of the conversation because I was probably kicking and screaming and saying, no, I'm not going, but here I am. And Chris is, is right. There's a, there's a need to share these stories with other people so that it gives other people hope. And it helps them to understand that death is not a scary thing. And there's, it's n- nothing more than walking from one room in your house to the next room. That's all it is. It's very seamless. And I, at least it was for me. And any, there was no pain. There was no suffering. There was no tears. There was no, you know, there was nothing like that. Um, and where I was, was the most beautiful place that I've ever seen in my life. And the love I felt was so huge and so immense that I want everybody to feel that love and to know that they are, are loved that way and that they don't need to be afraid. And so and the ears come back with a purpose to, to share these stories, to help other people. You know, all three of you, I'll talk to you now. You know, it, it is said, and in my experiences, it is true, that before a person passes, they're given many thoughts about what it's going to be like and going over. Sometimes you'll hear them talk about angels that visit them and are already handing, handing out their hand. I'm going to help you across. You've certainly seen all sorts of stories about rainbows and bridges. And um, knowing what you know, what makes it so hard to cross over? There's uh, anybody? Jaron, you want to go? There's an, and and everybody has got this built-in survival. And I think that part of it is people struggle with that. You know, I've got to stay alive. I need to stay alive. I can't die. I don't want to die. I'm afraid of the unknown. Um, I don't know what's over there or is there anything there? Or, you know, was I good enough? Um, where am I going to go? And will I see my loved ones? And questions like that. Um, and it's in the ears that, that we get a glimpse, we get a snapshot, and some of us more than one. And so we can come back and tell you that, you know, I mean, none of us can pretend to know the mind of God. So, <laughs> but, and actually tell no. people you know, where they're going to go. But, you know, I know, I just talked based on my own experiences and what I saw numerous times and the love that I felt. So you do see, you know, I think think any time that I've ever heard of a near death experience or any, any sort of things, you know, related to that, the one topic they always talk about is this huge, awesome love. What do you think about that, James? Well, I've never had a near-death experience, but love is what drives me. And when you were talking, it kind of reminded me of something that Chris said in the film. It's one of my favorite lines. As a million, I have a million favorite lines in the film, but... He says something that's tied into what you said. And he says, hey, you work for God now. And (laughs) I remember I was on the other side of the camera looking through the lens and him saying that. And I said, well, this is not going to wind up on the the cutting room floor because this is such an incredible concept. I mean, this is going to be in the film, mommy dearest. That's not going to be cut. And because... I think there's an axiom or some cliche or something. It says God gives his hardest um, battles to his strongest soldiers. Are you all familiar with that? Something like that. Yes. 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 uh, Yes. And and I'm not going to paint myself as one of those strong shoulders, but my NDEs are. I think that they're very strong. 
and they drive home that point of love that you were trying to make. And I'm, I'm sorry I did it in a roundabout way, but I found that in all five of them. There are five people in the film, five indie ears. And when I was researching them, I kind of had, mm-hmm. I had a telephone conversation with all five of them. And sure enough, love was part of all of the conversations. And when I set right. up to do interviews, there was like seven or eight generic questions that I asked every one of them. All five of them, I asked the same questions. But then I tailor-made some questions for specific people. Like the more cerebral questions, they went to Peter Panagore because I was trying to play toward his strengths, okay? And the mushy, lovey-dovey, sensitive questions, they went to Sharon Milliman because, (laughs) because that's who she is. She's very, very much like me. But I try and balance it between the five and what you come up with is the film. And I really think that we hit a home run in uh, getting the the point of love across. It sounds like you did. Uh, Actually, when you hear anybody speak about that love, that love is too great to put in the words that we hear in English. They just don't explain it. The, The love is too huge to be just in those four letters. And, and we don't have any were... other word to make it letter, bigger. Chris? No, I was going to say to touch on what you were just saying, the reason why we come back. And that love that you were just talking about is the reason why we come yes. back. Because it's like we want other people to know that that kind of love exists. So I think it's that that motivation of knowing that people need people need you. So it's like, you think, well, maybe oh, yeah. I'll just go back. I'm not just going to. People need me. I got to go back. And that right there is like the main focus from then on out. Just like James said, like you work for God now. That's a fabulous statement. Don't lose that statement. That's wonderful. Have you ever, Chris, in all your talking with people, found the right words to explain this huge, awesome love? home that's the only word I could think of home it's this familiar love to where it feels like you felt this love a long time ago maybe like hundreds or thousands of years ago like you know you felt this kind of love in some kind of universe and you know it was like god or source star creator you know it's that kind of love Right. Right. Jaron, do you want to add something to this? Just with my own experience, um, the love that I felt, it was huge. It was formless. But yet it permeated every cell of my body, every fiber of my being. And it took away any fear that I had, any pain that I had, anything. It was just like being wrapped up in a giant pink soft blanket you know and I was just just totally engulfed in this huge formless presence that was with me and that love just I didn't I mean like you said earlier there human words are very inadequate when it comes to speaking about something that there are no words to describe that Huge is the biggest, <laughs> gigantic, enormous, <laughs> encompassing, all-encompassing. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what people, and even though it's formless, the amazing part about it, it's it, it also transforms. You come back with that, and everybody that you can impart that upon has some element of transforming and a greater understanding of this very limited love that we have here. Our love is very based on what you do for me and what I do for you. And if you don't do for me, we we take away our love. We use our love often in punishment. Is that are you familiar with that, James? Oh, absolutely. As a matter of fact, quite recently, indeed. But um, 
there, that concept is brought out. There's a whole bunch of other concepts that were that are brought out in the film. And as a filmmaker, I kind of just try and present it and let the um, the people uh, tell their stories. But there's something that I wanted to to bring out, and this was actually after I made the film, and it's and it's tied in here. Um, I feel that there's a whole bunch of other NDEers out there who have not told their story. They're like keeping it under wraps and I'm sure they want to talk about love. And I, I know that I know that they've experienced because they've been there, but I am, I am guessing that there are people who don't want to tell their stories because either they're worried that somebody's going to call them a flim flam person, or they're just shy about it because somebody might think that they're, Oh, well, well you thought that that was a delusion that you have. And it isn't. Okay. And I really want that the NDE platform is out there. I'm not the one who invented it. This film is just another brick in the wall to get the NDE and their stories out. But I have to ask Chris and Sharon, when you first decided to tell your story, were you apprehensive about it for any of those reasons? Oh, of course. Of course. (laughs) Can you tell us a little bit about it? Okay. So obviously when somebody speaks publicly about an event that happened to them, such as this, you're always going to get those, those naysayers that are, that say, well, just like what James is saying, you're seeing things, you're, you know, you're delusional. Like what you've seen, you were just having hallucinations. You've met demons. There's so many different things and criticisms that can be said and they are said it's like based what some people don't understand is when somebody speaks publicly they're risking a lot and they're based they're going to be criticized good and bad so i look at it like i think people need to hear this so it this you never know who you can help if someone hears your story cuz someone just might need to hear it so if you can help these people, that's a lot better than those little few people who just call you a liar or, you know, say you were hallucinating. Yeah, you got to be you have to have pretty broad shoulders when you bring this back and walk tall in your knowledge yeah. and feel confident, you know, better than anybody what you're talking about. And that's the, the consciousness you basically have to have. Sharon? I've experienced. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I I have. When I came out with it, I was even family and dear friends told me I was crazy, tried to have me committed and everything else. And the doctor, when I they took me to the hospital to commit me, the doctor asked me what happened. I told him what happened. I told him where I went and who I saw. And he was like, there's not a thing wrong with you. You're not crazy. You had a spiritual experience. This is really big and they don't get it. And if, you know, you don't have the problem, if anybody else has the problem, it's them that have the problem, not you. So I was like, wow. (laughs) But since that time, being in the public eye and and doing the talks and being on TV shows and, and whatever, I've had a lot of people tell me, you know, when I talk about seeing Jesus and sitting with God and seeing the face of God, they tell me, they start throwing Bible verses at me and tell me that I'm, I'm going, I'm anti-Christian. I am, I am um, um, a blasphemer. I'm this, I'm a that, I'm a liar. I'm, I'm, I mean, they'll come right out and say these things. And all I've done is tell my story and I've not lied about anything. And my objection, my, my whole thing about telling is to bring people out of that fear of death and to bring people closer to God. And if I can help one right. person, then I've done my job, but there are sure, people yeah. out there. Absolutely there there are people out there that do think that we are oh i know that it's an act of a dying brain or we're on drugs or we're (laughs) 
hallucinating or dreaming or making right. it up for attention sake or whatever. When, and that's when not the true. last time you ate mushrooms. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like Never had a mushroom in my life. I don't like them. <laughs> like Sharon was just saying, like, same thing with me, like my own family members, the ones that were around during the situation that I would always talk about that made me suicidal in the first place, like these same people haven't heard from them in years. And then all of a sudden, when they found out I have a book, they know how to contact me through social media and or how to bash me on Amazon and leave bad reviews or on my YouTube or something like that. And again, I haven't heard from these people in years, but yet they want to go and say, oh, that never happened. That never happened. Right. Even the person that I think I, there's was, some people that just go ahead. No, the person I was next to during my near death experience, right? This same person still says yes. the same thing. Like you're hallucinating. You're I'm like, okay, like I was in the air. I was looking at you. You were here. The paramedics were here. Like, how do I know all you were right here on your phone? How do you not believe this? Yeah. Sometimes it's hard to break those barriers down. And I think that sometimes the barriers are there because they don't have those answers that you have. And rather than step up and make that decision to, to try to at least find out what exists on the other side or what this is all about, they choose to negate it, which is sad, really. Now that you have done this, all, all of you, you've all done similar things, what do you think is the biggest thing we can do to get people aware of the, of the truths we, could, we talk about? Anyone? James? Well, we can see the film that I made. <laughs> James? Yes, we can see the film that I made. That'll help. Chris? Peace. Go ahead. That one threw me off guard. I think like James said, just talk about it, share it, you know, um, basically watch this film. And if not just this film, there's so many other films about near death experience. I mean, just there's, there's groups like on, on social media that you could be a part of, you know, a lot of people are interested in the afterlife and a lot of more people are starting yes. to find it. Okay to come out and say that, hey, I do believe that other things yep. exist besides what meets the eye. Right. Um, do you think there's some sort of a, maybe an organizational process that we could do that um, would further us in, in bringing this out to the people? I think it's in process right now. I mean, with all over the world. I mean, people are making documentaries, people are writing books, people are in social media groups. I mean, TV shows, it's the, the word is getting out. Good, good. I'm glad. Uh, James, how, how do you um, bring this wonderful documentary to the people? I mean, how do you get the people to realize it's on YouTube and there's places that they can see it for free? Well, we can, I'm trying to do that through a press release. I'm trying to do it through YouTube. I'm trying to spread it um, via Facebook any way that I can, because it was a very, very difficult film to make, but it was worthwhile. I I tell you, I mean, from the very first moment I came up with the idea, it was just like a blank palette. You know, it was just like virgin and I decided I was going to do this because I wanted to get this word out. And I could have said, no, I'm not going to make this because it's very easy to say no, Diane. It's very easy to say no, no, that's too hard. But saying yes and really following through on it, that's the hard part. I I didn't say no. And what's the alternative? The alternative is is to not making the film. And, And what I did was... I, I can tell you that I, I drove, I went all over the country to make this film. I went to Maine, New Jersey, West Virginia, California, and put it all together. And it had to be worthwhile. So there better be a way for me to get it out. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Exactly. Exactly. 
<laughs> you know, I'm going to give our telephone number out to our listening audience right now. And people may want to call in and ask you questions. So just let me do this one moment. Listening audience, here is a number that you can call in and talk to James, Chris, and Sharon. It's 888-627-6666. Let me give it to you one more time. 888-627-6008. And the lines will be open and our guests will be happy to take your questions. Feel free to call in. There's no shyness here. Okay, let's go on. Um, Chris, do you think there's something that we really should discuss for our listening audience now that relates to the subject that we may not have covered so far? I mean, you've got a world of knowledge to give us and I don't want to, I don't want to miss a piece. Okay. Maybe I can just say, I mean, it might not really go exactly what, what your question was saying, but I think maybe if people just know someone who may need to know about like life after death or someone's into life after death. If someone you know is down on themselves and they're suicidal, they don't have any confidence or other people that have questions just in general about spirit world or about like self-confidence and all kinds of, let me depression. There's so many with all of us, five um, experiencers, we all have a lot of different levels of what we, what we talk about and what we can bring. So I feel like pretty much anyone can, anyone that can really relate or has questions about what I just said, this would be a great documentary for them to watch or tell someone about. Right. 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 You wonder what, if we can't get it into some of the treatment centers, for example, some of your major treatment centers to deal specifically with major depression, major anxiety, multiple suicide attempts, they need some assistance. And very often the staff that's working with them needs the assistance as well because they need to share. And sharing is how, how it's a major part of that treatment program is sharing I, experiences and how did we handle them? I think, ahead, now would, I think now would be a great time, especially because the last couple of years have been really different for the world. So people have been losing oh, people yeah. all the time. So the world is pretty much in shambles right now. We need some kind of hope that eventually something can get better. And because a lot of people nowadays are just thinking, okay, well, the end of the world is here. It's never going to get better. Yeah. Well, I think also, if you think about the isolation that everyone was in for these, what, 18 months? 18 yeah that's a, that's a long time yeah people are um they're socializing they're used to being with people they foster that it's it's part of good mental health and when you isolate like this even if you're with your family you oftentimes need more than that just to get through the day you know that there are families of discord and that don't understand each other, all sorts of problems, and isolating them, <laughs> that just feeds the problem they already have. Hey, Diane. James, you want to say something? You look like yeah. you want to talk. <laughs> uh, Diane, I want to tell you something. Uh-huh. I made this film in the very, very lowest point of my life. And I don't, really? I don't think it was a coincidence that I got to meet five NDE people in the span of three weeks. And all of them have the self-actualization feeling that they kind of just put out there. And I was exposed to it. And it made me feel so yep. good. And it was my own therapy. I happened to be making a film about it. But so what you're saying hits home and it really should have hit home for a lot of people. There's a lot of therapy in this. Well, I'm glad you were so guided and you were guided so correctly. It's wonderful because you've got a wonderful piece to share. Sharon, 
Yes. Do you want to talk to us on, excuse me? Did you want to say something, James? No, I'm good. Were you, oh, you're good. You're okay? Okay. Yep. Um, and you're good, James, too. Well, yes. while we're waiting for calls to come in, can I share a little bit about what I do in relation to you? And um, I am a, a clinical psychologist that has worked for 35 years in nothing but trauma. And trauma of all kinds, not just my, not just the ER and not just my private practice, but I also was on the national teams and went to all those big things that happened. Oklahoma bombing and New York, the towers, everything started way back when Andrew was a problem. And um, I can tell you that what bothered me most of all, what made me go on and on and on was that I didn't think anybody was getting well. And the more that I worked, I, I just, I, I lacked what I call true success. And so after many, 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 many weeks, I finally decided that um, I had to do something that was drugless because there already was more drugs than I needed and also non-invasive. I mean, I couldn't cut somebody's brain out and rearrange it so there was no trauma there. So I have developed a system that I think is very effective and it is not drug. It does not conclude drugs and it is not invasive. And it's a matter of um, stimulating the brain mildly uh, with, it can be done with, you know, like a castanets click, click back and forth or drums beating back. You can, little things like that can stimulate our brain. And so my theory is based on that. And when we, when I do this work, all this irrational emotion that's connected to all of our traumas. And I should tell you, all of our traumas are connected back to childhood. And it just depends upon how our little brains took those emotions in at young ages to what they're doing as adults. And so all those irrational memories get neutralized in my system and they get stored as neutralized long-term memories that can be used. And I'll just give you one little example. If you walk down a road and you saw a tiger, you could do three things. You could fight the tiger, you could run, or you could play dead or freeze. Whichever one of those that you do that you get away from this tiger you don't want to spend the rest of your life um, worrying about this tiger. But you don't want to forget that the tiger is down that road because you're not going to go down there again. This is what my process allows you to do. You can retain the information, not as an awful memory, but as wisdom. And use it in the future for whatever you need it for. Make sense? Yes. Indeed. Um, um, it, trauma and emotions like you're speaking of, these wonderful emotions that you're speaking of that have to you, happen to you today, embed in us at levels, if they're negative, they will gather together. They gather together by like emotional intensity. So your wonderful memories will gather back more memories and more memories so that the memories that you have will even get greater in intensity, greater understanding of love, greater appreciation of what there is on the other side, greater ability to go over the other side, such as you did, and come back and share it. All those are positive. But if they were negative and they gathered and they gathered, they can turn into road rage because you haven't figured out any other way to vent your rage, they can turn out to stalking because you haven't figured out how to handle situations of envy and revenge. They can turn out to be family violence because what you remember of a family was violence. So the, the, the actual significant part of what I'm, I'm speaking about here is that we do this as an intervention. We do not do it as a treatment diagnosis. 
Now, people come into treatment and they are diagnosed rapidly. Um, there is there is intelligence used and there's documents to use and there's a, a guideline of a book of what the guidelines are for diagnosing people. But I believe that's too late. I believe what should happen is before you do the diagnosing, you do an intervention that will try to, for lack of another word, detox the negative emotions that are causing the great anxiety that's made them walk through the door or the great depression where they're ideating about suicide. If we do that intervention up front, we can clear those negative emotions, store them in long-term neutral memory. And the upshot of that is we're not labeling people. And if they're strong, as they probably are, in most cases they are, you have eliminated treatment that was the wrong treatment. Now they can come in if they need treatment and they can have treatment for what they really need, which may be interventions at home or in the military. It may be just re-entering the family and how to do it again. And those simple things can be solved quickly almost with coaches rather than, say, clinical psychologists. Any questions? I think it's wonderful. So, <laughs> oh, no, so this would be good for people I like like good. veterans or like military people. Um, What's it called? Like PTSD. Mm-hmm. Yep. PTSD. Yeah. yeah. I will tell you that this has been – some of the uh, some of the cases that I've had, this has been so successful. You take someone that has schizophrenia. Schizophrenia is I'm not going to cure it. It's a DNA factor. It's it's there. But what happens when you're labeled schizophrenic? You now live up to the label, and you sometimes do things that you you know darn well are wrong, and you know you shouldn't do it because they're going to make you look more schizophrenic but they do it. We can remove that whole paradigm of their thinking about living up to labels. It's also true with little children that get labeled young, that they were a problem behavior and they get put in a behavior class. And often you will see, they will act out the behaviors of the others in the class. So this stops that continuation of augmenting this, these wheels going around and around and never ending. We interrupt it with the, with, the, with the treatment I have designed. Sharon, you got any ideas? I'm speechless. <laughs> I think you're amazing. <laughs> I think, um, <laughs> wow, wow. And you created this treatment? Well, I pulled it all together. Chris, when you work in the field day after day after day after day, and you're building brick fences, you learn how to build them better. And that's what I did. I gathered the things in my practice that were doing the best, and I put them together and tried to get something out of that. And I will share one thing with you. The reason that I finally t- am taking this public, the book is already written, by the way, as I had a daughter that was killed in a snowmobile accident. And it, there was no blame. She was run over by another snowmobile. It's a long story. But, you know, the, uh, the absolute ending of this, nobody was criminally charged. It was a total accident. That was hard to take. Like, how could you kill my daughter and not somebody be responsible And that's what made me, when I finally realized that I could treat myself with doing the methodology that I had devised, that I realized maybe this is the purpose of the death, but it works. And I I used it. And I'm back talking to you today. Before, I didn't want to talk to anybody. I just didn't want to show up anywhere. James? You know, I, I, one, of, one, of our, one of our NDEs is a psychologist. I think we should introduce uh, you to her. <laughs> her name is Brooke Grove. She was the fifth NDE, and that was her profession, too. And uh, I think that she would be riveted in our conversation. 
<laughs> we'll see if she can get it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but if, if, if people want to talk to me, uh, I will give them my phone number. It's 915-585-388, excuse me, 915-525-2796. And there is a book that I can send you. And let me get, do you people wish for people to call you if they are interested in the topics that you talk today? Chris, sure. Yes. Yeah, well, um, yeah. James, if you do, you want to give your phone numbers if you're well, if you want to, you can feel free to do so. Yeah, sure. You can just go to the um, the piece on both sides of the gate website, and it says contact the filmmaker, and you can email me, you can call me, you can do anything you want. So if you go to www.pieceonbothsidesofthegate.com, you can um, you can reach me there. And I'd love to talk to anybody. Good. Good. People Chris? can call me. Usually people contact me through Facebook Messenger or through Instagram. So that's where I get most of my questions from those two platforms. So my Facebook is Chris NDE. And then my Instagram is C underscore E underscore B7. Okay, Chris, because that's got so much in it. Would you repeat that again for our audience? Okay, well, the best way to just, the best way to reach me is just Facebook. My, um, on Facebook Messenger, my Facebook is Chris and then space and then N-D-E. Okay, good. And we're getting, running out of time. Sharon, would you like people to contact you? Absolutely. You can uh, either write to me at Sharon Milliman, B-S-H-A-R-O-N-M-I-L-L-I-M-A-N at yahoo.com or at gmail.com, same name. Or you can call my, um, get me on Facebook, uh, Messenger, um, and I can, I'm happy to give you my phone number. Um and my house number is 304-422-6668 if, if you need to call me. So I, I'm, t- I'm open to talking with anybody, everybody. I think we all feel the same way, that we have something to share and we want to share it. And if there are people that, that need us, we want to do it. Um, I want to thank the three of you for coming on today. It's been really interesting talking to you. And you lend it to each other's conversation so beautifully. You, you supported each other and you had things to add and you had wonderful stories to tell about beautiful things to come. It's wonderful. And thank you very much, all three of you, James, Chris, and Sharon. Thank, thank you. you. You're welcome. Peace be with you. Bye-bye. Sure. Bye-bye.